Father Turbo, thank you so much for joining us on the Orthodox Ethos. This is a joy to have you now on this side. We, you had me on your on your show, and it was a joy to be with you all. And now we have you with us on Orthodox Ethos. Thanks, thanks for joining us. It's my joy, Father. Thank you, thank you for this opportunity. I love talking to you because you're in the you're in the um, the thick of the struggle mm-hmm. of of bringing the American into the church. That you're you're in you're in the uh, uh, let's say the uh, the battleground there in Kansas City, trenches. the heart of America. That's it. Yeah. The trenches. The trenches. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. And you are uh, dealing with something that's very dear to our heart at Orthodox Jesus, and that is being a mystagogue and bringing people step by step from the world and the passions and the devil and all the the mindset of the world, and then. They're seeking Christ, and you're bringing them step by step through the catechetical process into the church, initiating them into the life of the church, and then in, into the depths of the spiritual life. And that is that whole process is so important, and, and so much work can be done there today in the church around the world, but especially among the missionary lands like America. Mm. And you know, one by one, the, the I think the way the church approaches the world is one by one and in community. And every community, little you know, cell by cell, the spirit of God reigns, and therefore the spirit of the enemy and the darkness is pushed back, and the light shines forth. So it's it's so uh, it's so important. So I'd like to talk to you today about that that whole process, and 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 from the perspective of a priest, a missionary, a teacher, how can we help our brothers and sisters who are going to be listening to this uh, on the Orthodox ethos? How can we help them? To if they're catechumens, especially, but even those who've gone through the process, how can we help them to realize what is this process that we all have to go through to go deeper into the life in Christ? What are we facing? And uh, maybe answer some of the questions that we get all the time about, uh, you know, what's what we what is the most important pillars of that you know, yeah. of that whole process? Yeah, you know, honestly, uh, Father, I, I think the answer um, may be somewhat unsatisfying for some people. And I think the fact, if it is unsatisfying, that's telling in of itself. Mm. And that is Christ and becoming a disciple of Christ. Mm. And in our context, so many people, they've received what I call an inoculation. And even though we're living in times that are really, I mean, beyond post-Christian, I I encounter people shockingly often who do not know basic Bible stories. So Mm. in many ways we are facing a kind of, you know, apostolic time in regards of Mm. dealing with people, converting people who are, you know, all but pagan, really. Um, They may have some semblance of understanding their grandma, maybe, or an aunt, maybe, but they don't know the basic Bible stories. And more importantly with that, they really have no idea who Christ is. And in a, in an actual literal sense, I'm not being hyperbolic, you know, so that's a different, that's a different kind of catechism, isn't it? Because a lot of times we're thinking, and up to this point, most people talk about missionary work. They're talking about to the heterodox. In other words, they're heterodox people who are coming to the church saying, I want to become Orthodox. And you're starting with a lot, you know, basic stuff is there and you just need to, you know, reorient. But now you're saying that there's increasingly a whole generation of people who don't understand basic like Christian concepts. Correct. And again, this word I used inoculation is key because what little bit they do have is dangerous Mm. because they think they they have a very strong assumption of, well, I already know who Christ is. I've heard this or that, or I've seen on TV. More importantly, they have this apprehension of Christ through people who who they themselves don't have Christ. Right. So maybe it's what they've seen on TV through social media or, or, the many of people who, um, you know, the enemies of Christ that are dominating social media and the airwaves and and the public square. Um, This is where people are getting their idea of who Christ is. Um, What would you say for most people, who is Christ? Those people you're talking about, what are they? Is just a moral teacher? Is he a Christ is Christ is a moral teacher. Um, Christ often is um, seen as, this caricature of, you know, a kind of um, 
ancient spiritual Mr. Rogers, how people would interpret mm -hmm. Mr. Rogers, right? Mm -hmm. So you have these extremes. Um, you're familiar with this um, where people have, you know, if, if you've ever, you know, the, the uh, Pantocrator icon uh, of Sinai, mm -hmm. and then if you split the Pantocrator icon, and then, you know, you mirror it, and this is what, this is what you see. You have people who they want all blessing. They, they see Christ as all blessing. Everything goes, or you see people where it's all law. And, you know, they see Christ as Zeus who's looking to strike you down because you crossed mm. the street the wrong way. Mm. And these extremes, none of them are true or what I'm talking about. This is what, this is what, you know, you find uh, is, is more common than not to encounter with people. And it's dangerous because, the one on the one hand where someone just says, well, you know, uh, what you are talking about in regards of repentance primarily, that sounds really judgy. That doesn't sound like Jesus. Hmm. Right. And so it's they love it when they want to quote Christ um, coming to the defense of the woman caught in adultery. They love it when he says, you know, he who has sinned, let him cast the first stone but they forget the portion when he turns to her and says, go and sin no more. Hmm. You know, this is how I characterize that. And it's interesting. You say, I have experiences tons. I see. I bet you have tons of experiences. There's so many experiences where uh, I just talking to two or three priests and, and they told me stories that exactly what you're talking about. It's like people, when they hear the, of boundaries, when they hear of dogma, when they hear of the need to repentance, they hear not love, but the lack of love. There's no love, Father, in what you're saying. Yes, yes, and and that's amazing because we have to we have to break down all these idols. They have like there's been idols built which have nothing to do with the reality or with Christ, who Christ is, and you have to dismantle them essentially before you can even Father, these idols and these barriers, these these obstacles. Um, they keep Christ at bay in a lot of ways. Um, one mm. of the ways is that if someone does have an understanding of Christ or they are open to, you know, some sort of quote unquote religious facet of life, they see um, a false dichotomy being something that's, you know, necessary. So in other words, well, that's like kind of nice to have that religious moral idea of Christ, but that doesn't play out in my everyday life. That that's mm. and, and this gets into things like, for instance, um, like in my context, and and I think in a lot of people's growing context, right? Um, the reality of let's say marriage, and mm. what is marriage, and mm. how marriage is actually one of the 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 one of the portals to the path of 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 theosis of of you know holy blessed sacramental marriage, right and. All, our whole society is, um, you know, energized by the by the evil one to not only, you know, to some degree disregard marriage in a, in a traditional Christian sacramental sense, but to be hostile to it. Mm -hmm. and, and this is one of those great examples where it's it's a tactic that keeps people from hearing the word from the Lord to repent and mm -hmm. saying like, no, that's outdated. No, that that doesn't apply. Uh, no, you know I don't. I don't. The church has no business saying what's going on in, in you know in my life. These things like that, and it keeps them from the rich life that Christ promises those who keep His commandments. You know, it makes total sense that if we have a total distortion of Christ, we're going to have a distortion of the mysteries because Christ is given and gives Himself in every mystery. We're going to have a distortion of the church. Because he is the body of Christ, the church is the body of Christ, rather. And then we're going to have a distortion of, uh, you know, salvation. Because marriage, what is it? It's a path to salvation. Yes. Everything the church does is about salvation. Everything Christ did was about our salvation. So it, it is. Uh, it, so one of the things I'm hearing you saying is that one of the first things and the most important things that you can do as a mystagogue, as a priest or teacher initiating people into the mystery of Christ is you have to dismantle the idols. You have to smash the idols. You have to smash and you, the idols. And you got to get rid of you got to get rid of those so they can then wait a minute, I need to look at this a whole anew. I start over, scratch from scratch, right? Yes. And and what happens is once that begins, people can now begin to see how they've been held captive. 
that the darkness that they've been living in is a real darkness and that it isn't, you know, uh, just uh, some quote unquote metaphorical, but it has real life impacts on them. And I think this is really important, Father, because even for people who are coming to the church, let's say someone's coming to the church and, and they see um, they see the chaos and, they, and they, they can feel the tangible darkness in society, right? But it isn't just simply enough to try to get on the right side ideologically, quote unquote, because even then your heart and the place where the kingdom of God is birthed, even then there are these areas in which people have these boundaries up. And those boundaries only come down when you begin to see Christ as he is, not as you want him to be. Mm. And many people on the other end of it, they want to wield Christ in certain ways, you know, um, sons of Sceva almost, you know, and, mm. and, and not understand that, number one, the power of Christ and who he is and, and that Christ is light and that, you know, our God is a consuming fire, that mm. that fire, when it consumes Yes, it burns up sin, but also it, it, it brings to life these parts of our being, our hearts mm. that have been frozen because of the coldness, the indifference and the lawlessness that they're encountering. Right. Because the lawlessness can oftentimes motivate people and they want to find um, not so different from the zealots. They want to, uh, you know, in, in the in the early centuries, they want to find a Christ that's going to bring you know, a political leader to them. And this is just as much a part of finding and, and showing them who Christ really is so that they can enter into the mysteries and, and experience that resurrectional life that's necessary, that pledge of the spirit, you know, because without it, and this is, this is something else that I think is important. This idea and that tension of your life in the Orthodox church needs to bear the fruit of some sort of what I call like the kiss of eternity where you feel and you, and, and you experience that transformative resurrectional grace in your life. Like St. Simeon, the new theologian talks about, you know, it's like, it isn't just relegated for those, you know, for monastics and such it's, it's for all of those who would seek to mm. come and enter into the mysteries and partake of the divine fire. Right. So, so the second thing I'm hearing is that in order for someone to smash the idol, see Christ as he is, and therefore be free, he's got to also be prepared to see himself as he is. There's no other way. Come to self-knowledge. And that's a frightening thing for a lot of people. It is. It is. And, it, and it's for everyone. That's for everyone. It's, it's for someone who is, you know, neck deep in, you know, the kind of carnal sins, the the, the the temptations from the left and those who are, you know, coming and, and they see them as, you know, they're, they're good citizens, you know, they're, they're escaping the, the liberal, you know, tide of the day, but they still are in need of repentance as well. And, mm. and I think this is really key because showing people who Christ is and that once you see, once you begin to see Christ, you begin to see yourself. And then here's, here's the thing in my mind and my experience one of the most important things about catechizing someone and preparing their soul to encounter Christ is that the grace burns and you oftentimes, you, the tradition of the church, the ascetic thread that's baked through the, the tradition of the church, it's there for a reason. It's there because without it, you don't gain the stamina to encounter holiness. And that's another thing is that the encounter with holiness is oftentimes painful, but pain and discomfort is not inherently bad or evil. And in mm -hmm. fact, this is one of the problems with our culture is that we're so hedonistic at our core. Um, and you see this across the board, Father, whether it's unfortunate practices that many people get involved with, you know, via images in the internet, or even seeing, you know, certain people from certain schools of thought of mental health, which teach them anything that makes you uncomfortable, get away from it. Mm. If you want to be healthy, you know, psychologically, you just need to find a context that assuages and, and you know, affirms everything that you, that you feel needs to be affirmed. Well, the whole society, Father, is telling us we need painkillers. 
right? We need painkillers across the board. That's, the, that's, that's essential to get through the day. We take various medicines, various drugs. We, uh, we basically are numbed by watching the various media. We could, you know, it's an escape. It's a consolation, a temporary consolation. So the vast majority of society is both engaged in it and, and is being shaped and, and brainwashed into thinking the way you're going to enjoy this life and be happy is to avoid pain. So what you're telling them is basically, an, you know, heresy, quote unquote, from their perspective, right? What are you telling me? That true joy is actually through pain and suffering? Yep. Yep. The cross. The cross the is going to bring me is going to be bring bring me joy. How's that work exactly when I'm avoiding it in every other way? Right? And, and it's interesting because you give people simple examples of well, um depending on their own personal context, I say uh you know, if they work out, I say, you know, you're in shape. How did you get that way? Did you get that way by eating, you know, Twinkies and pizza and sitting on the couch? No pain, no gain, right? No pain, no gain. And, and and so that leads me to another thing, Father, which is people, they look at orthodoxy and they see the beauty, but because of the, the broken lens that in which the world has given them, it, it they have a they see it through a very fractured kind of complexity mm. and trying to get them to understand, no, the life in Christ is actually very simple. And that simplicity is a huge part of becoming a disciple because hubris actually can motivate people to want to make things more complicated. Mm. Right. And people want to complicate things because they want to make, they want to have something in which, you know, they're conquering and Jesus justify. is the one who conquers. They want to justify things, right? right? That's right. Status quo. That's right. That's right. And so getting them to understand, it's like, no, and this is why it's so important. This isn't about how you are perceiving things. This is how the church has received, the church has taught. And that experience, this is what you need to see. And so that leads also to getting them to understand the saints, which I'll say that can be a difficult thing. Because a lot of people don't have a framework. They, they have no concept of reading the lives of the saints. And so mm -hmm. for them, it seems more like fairy tales mm -hmm. than anything else. And unfortunately, and I, I understand this, um, there's, there's some contemporary kind of like thought and movement that, you know, in regards of taking some of the abstract aspects of narrative and saying, well, this is how the lives of the saints work. And I see where they're going with this. But it's a dangerous road because what mm. you can get is you can get people who want to over-intellectualize the lives of the saints, which then neuters the ascetic aspect mm. and the incarnational, which I think is the core thing, the incarnational mm. aspect of the lives of the saints. And that's very dangerous because at that point then, now you're only a few steps removed from some of the kind of psychological constructs that are presented with young and other things like that, that, you know, can just say, well, these are like archetypes and things like that. Mm. And that's, that's very dangerous because what's lurking behind a lot of people's, you yeah. know, worldview are, are, are new age understandings that they're not even aware of. It's Gnostic and it's, it's anti-incarnational. It's anti-incarnational, right? So, Absolutely. so I'm seeing that people are attracted to Christ, the church, but then they've got to come and deal with themselves, come to self-knowledge. They've got to embrace pain. So they're, they're on they're on the exactly opposite trajectory of the world yeah. toward Christ, toward true life, toward true discovery. And then they're gonna have to they're gonna have to trust. That's the thing that you're talking about here. Is what I'm hearing you is saying, well, they've got to trust, but trust is very hard for them because they've been burned. Most people have been burned left and right, because that's what the sinful world does. It burns people left and right, because they're all we're all you know egotistical. So they are very hard. It's very hard to trust, not only because there's not very many trustworthy people, it seems like, you know, in, in society because they're all ruled by their passions. But then we ourselves yes. uh, don't want to give up and trust. And we're saying, well, no, you have to trust the saints. Right. Well, they're saying, well, the saints, who are the saints? This is like fairy tale land, like you said. So th that's a huge pedagogical and catechetical roadblock that you got to face as a, as a priest you need to trust christ that means trust the saints that means trust the church 
how many comments under our videos by Protestants are like, don't trust the church, don't yeah. trust tradition, don't trust the saints, yeah. you know, only, only, only Christ. Because And so what they don't realize is that the Christ that they're talking about doesn't exist. Like they're trusting their own idea of Christ most of the time. And they, more importantly, they have no, they do not have a Christian understanding of, of neighbor either. Hmm. Because it's, it's this, they have the uh, vertical of the cross, supposedly. Right. Yeah. Right. Me and Jesus. Me and Jesus. Yeah. I mean, forgive right. me. This is a little bit of a let me digress a little bit, Father. This is something else to also take in mind. A even if someone does have an understanding of Christ, but let's just say like they they have a little bit more of a working knowledge, right? Surprisingly, now you're dealing with a lot of people who are there's a growing movement of people, and you'll see these people, you know, even kind of being more quote unquote informed. As they as they would like to think of themselves, um, they're they're refuting trinitarian theology. Hmm. So the so there's even a there's even a growing movement of people who, you know, they'll take Jesus, but they reject the Trinity, and hmm. so that is a whole other thing that I'm starting to encounter more in regards of of speaking with people. So, anyways, getting back to it, they have the vertical, so they think of. Me and God, let's say they think they got that figured out. But, you know, the horizontal of, of, of you and your fellow man, the other part of the cross, and they, they miss out on that and they don't understand that. And one of the best ways to understand what it means to be, you know, a, a bearer of, of the life of Christ is to begin to see the, the lives of the saints, because the lives of the saints are the ones who show us how to live. And when we begin to see how to live, then we can only then live in proper community. Mm -hmm. But if we're running on our own kind of idiocentric ideas, which a lot of people do, then that life of the cross, the vertical and the horizontal is oftentimes fractured and broken. So mm -hmm. I, I find those who embrace becoming students of hagiography, the lives of the saints, mm -hmm. they learn to enter into the communion and the fellowship of, of the body. Mm -hmm. Those who don't, those who are a bit resistant, they tend to have a very kind of idiorhythmic, idiocentric approach to the life in the church, which mm -hmm. is again, fundamentally not incarnational, you know? Hmm. Well, we got, we got technical issues over here, but that's all right. That's not a big deal. So, uh, then how do you get how do you get people to to trust? I think that's the big issue for me. What I see again and again, how do they get? How do people end up trusting the church, trusting Christ, trusting the saints? That is I think this is where um, it's it's those of us within the body that are you know out there fishing and cleaning the fish, um, both clergy and lay people alike. This is where we have to really begin engaging our own. Um, inner life, our own ascetical endeavor. And it's learning to, you know, to bear the burdens of one another and to be, learn to be long suffering mm -hmm. because by being patient, not in the sense of being passive, you know, and indifferent, but engaging in, in, in being quick with the word of Christ, quick with, you know, the truth of the church and, and being able to be a light for these people as they begin to navigate their lives kind of being deconstructed, because this is the other thing when you begin to really approach Christ. Right. And I, and I, and this is key father, um, whatever effort you put in, if you put in, you know, $1, the Lord will put in a thousand, you know, it's, it's, you mm -hmm. can't outgive the Lord. And so when you begin to approach Christ and I always warn people, look, you're approaching the true Christ now. And so, you know, it's like, um, uh, Christ is not, you know, getting back to who Christ is. It's not this kind of safe, you know, I can kind of package him and kind of put him on the shelf. Christ will begin to, you know, he is light. And when he shows up, things are revealed and you begin to see yourself. And when you begin to see yourself as you actually are, and you begin to see that you don't have love. You begin to see that you aren't this great person. You begin to see that the life that you've been living is filled with darkness and it's destroying you and you're dying then what happens is there's a real crisis and that crisis is good. And so this is why it's necessary to teach people just because you're uncomfortable, that doesn't mean something good isn't happening. Hmm. That in fact, 
this crisis is precisely some of the evidence of Christ in your life. And so getting walking with them, and that's where we have to come in and 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 be steadfast with them and just keep pointing them to the truth of God's love, the power of repentance, and that the transformative power of the cross, you will harbor, you will kind of harbor the storm, right? In the shadow yeah, two, of the cross. Two things from the Yerodiko and from the saints that the fathers come to mind when you're talking about this. The one is that they would they would be very, uh, they said, you know, if there's no temptations, God has abandoned us. That was one of the things that you see uh, that the saints would expect. Like, that's that means that I'm getting purified. That means God is dealing with me. Without temptations, there's no salvation. The, the world thinks just the opposite. If I have temptations, then I'm not being saved. That's right. Right. Then so that's a totally opposite. And then the second thing is that it says somewhere, I think it's Saint uh, Ava Longinus, I think it is, who says, Have you seen your brother? You've seen your Lord. Mm. Uh so you know, people think me and Jesus, like you said, or they're looking somewhere else outside okay. of reality, outside of their society, outside of their family, outside of their wife and husband to find Christ, to be with Christ. That's and right. yet they're right right in front of you. Uh, and and then if you think about the Lord's words that, you know, temptations will come from man, a man's household, like the, the the struggle and the, it's right there in front of us. You know, the, you cannot separate the, the, the greatest commandments. And that is to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbors yourself. That's the, like you said, the vertical and the horizontal, they're inseparable. Inseparable. You cannot come to Christ with if you do not embrace the the brother. So it's all and, right there in front of us. And the thing is, Father, you know, it's it bears witness throughout the whole of your experience when you come to the church. Because, listen, we're all familiar with this. You know, someone comes to the church. They are um, enamored and amazed by the beauty of the church, which is obvious. But then that process of coming in, becoming a choir, a catechumen, you know, getting catechized, being obedient, being faithful, being consistent, um, the romanticism can wear off. And especially where we are so, you know, kind of um, uh, fast food spirituality, fast food life, everything now, everything quick. Um, and what I find is, you know, some people, they may even want to have, um, you know, they, they have a desire for experience, quote unquote. But when you begin to try to tell them, look, you know, the the evidence and, you know, the, the not only the evidence of Christ, but the evidence of your transformation is going to be found in the slow, mundane things. The liturgy, right? The liturgy is the most profound thing. Uh, I believe it was St. Gregory the Theologian who said it, you know, the Eucharist is the center of the universe. You mean, you mean if I don't like the divine liturgy, I'm not going to like heaven? You're not going to like heaven. And if you and if you can't learn to find God in stillness, if you can't learn to find God in what, what eventually becomes known and familiar to you, you're not going to ever find God. Mm. Right? And it, it's, it's really important to understand that. Father, you're just a narrow-minded, you know, bigoted uh, Orthodox who, who, you know, how can you tell me who, you know, how to, don't you get a lot of that? Oh, yeah. Like, we're going to get a lot of push, pushback and say, well, why do you think you have a, like a, a what do they say, a, a monopoly on God or something? Yeah. 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 And, and what's interesting is, again, um, I would say, look at the fruit, though. Look at the fruit. And the fruit, unfortunately, for a lot of people gets lost in the mix. And what I mean by that is getting past, because having arguments and, and, and having talking points is, is great. But when it comes down, getting back to catechizing, and when it gets down to brass tacks, it's preparing someone on how to enter into the mysteries. Mm. And that mm. goes beyond your own speculation. It, it, it goes beyond your own opinion. It goes beyond you. Mm. And that's where the rubber begins to meet the road because you need to, and that's the thing, I, this is a common thing I tell people, I say, you know, because every every group of catechumens, you know, there's there's the one or a couple or depending who they're still struggling 
with that kind of American Protestant mindset of like, well, I know best who you're going to tell me, blah, blah, blah. And I always tell them, I say, look around. Everyone here, including me, has bent the knee. There's no other way. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. In the church, we've already bent the knee. It's already a done deal for us. Paul says the church submits to Christ. That's right. If you're in the church, that's your stance. That's right. Submission to Christ. That's right. And Father, I just want to say this. This is really, really, really important. Um, That submission to Christ is everything. Because only those who have submitted to Christ, and and you can only find that true submission in the Orthodox Church. Mm. Because the Orthodox Church alone has the means by which you learn to submit your whole life to Christ. Not just the external, but the heart, more importantly. And that's the only way to discern Antichrist. That's the only way to discern what is true. That's the only way to discern what is truly beautiful and good. Beauty is the revelation of Christ. True beauty is his revelation. Mm. So if you don't have that, if you don't know how to submit to Christ, you have nothing. You have nothing. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about the fruits because I, I, I uh, you know, had the one of many, many, many people, but I did have the blessing of, of spending a number of occasions with Elder Ephraim mm. when I visited here and in Greece. And so one of the things I noticed very quickly, and I've said this many times, but to get to the point of the fruit, because I think what's important for us is to be able to take, sit back and take our temperature spiritually. Like we want to know, am I making progress? Right. Or is it just like going in motion? Or is it just like, I'm just playing the role? Or, you know, I'm a moral good person and that, that what salvation is. So, so many people, I think, just get, they, they, they're running and eventually they get tired and then they sit back on their heels and they say, look, I'm in the church and I'm doing everything right. It's enough. Like, let me go drink my beer and watch my football game on yeah. Sunday after church because I'm doing what I did enough. All right. I've arrived. I'm in the church. It's enough. Right. Isn't that, don't people get a little complacent, get a little, I think it's a big temptation because, hey, after all, I'm better than everybody else because I'm an Orthodox. That's, <laughs> That's right. a little pharisaical yeah. moment of uh, reflection. But the fruits are really interesting. I, so I saw uh, in Elder Ephraim, uh, among other great elders that I'm you know, on Athos, what you saw were the fruits. And what were the fruits to me? And what I, how, this is how I understood it, is that in his every fiber, in his breathing, in his way he sat, the way he spoke, the way he looked at you, the way, you know, his thoughts, words, deeds, impulses, glances, decisions, desires, you know, in the, in the un, uh, let's say, the unconscious person, yeah. right? The person who just is, the inner man who just exists, you saw the Holy, you felt and saw the presence of God. It wasn't like, whoa, he was such an, amazing speaker or oh he was so convincing because his catechism his speeches just blew me away and i just no it wasn't it wasn't like that i mean he there are gifts like that that god gives to people but that's not where it's that's not where you can tell that this person has been initiated into the mystery and lives the mystery and has gone from the image to the likeness mm-hmm. right which is theosis right the, how when we go from the we're all given the restoration yeah. of the image right we're all everybody who's in the church has been restored the image has been restored right but then we fill it we fill it up again with garbage because that's yeah. we go back to the vomit but the the whole process of the church is to go from the image now and then like adam would have if he had continued arrive at the likeness and that's what happens in the lives of the saints and that's what christ did of course he he was the, the perfect image and likeness so he's called so the fruits are in the whole person that's where you know oh he's made progress look he's transformed mm-hmm. so maybe uh is a big part of the catechetical process is hopefully that over time we're taking our temperature we're looking at the fruits we're looking at ourselves in the mirror we're not just seeing this fallen sick human being anymore we're actually seeing somebody somebody who well, before I was baptized, I was plagued by this sin. I don't do that sin anymore. Right. Before I was baptized, I thought about, I had all these doubts or I had all these thoughts. Or I was judging. left. I don't do that anymore. And we should be able to say, I don't do that anymore, right? We should, it's, we should be cognizant of the effect and the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Otherwise, what is this? Is it like a mirage, like a dream we're living in? Right? And, right? and not only should you be able to say, you know, I, I've left this behind, but you should also say, and I still have more to go. Yes. And that's, I think that's where the complacency for a lot of people comes into play. 
they don't want to face the struggle ahead. They don't want to yeah. face the struggle ahead. They think oh, it, it's it's good enough. And I know this seems redundant, Father. I know it seems like kind of like a circular knowledge, but forgive me. I mean, this is this is just what I have, and 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 this is what I know because I'm in the church first and foremost. I'm Orthodox first and foremost, and then as a priest, I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not a particularly you know articulate man, intelligent man, educated man, but I I love Christ. He saved me. He saved me, and. He who has been forgiven much loves much. Mm. And that's why, I mean, I know it seems, you know, like kind of a one trick pony, but really for me, Christ is everything. Mm. Because when you acquire the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, point, well, the Holy Spirit illumines and points you to Christ. When you pursue the Father, you can only pursue the Father through, through the Son. Christ becomes this, this source. All in all. all. The all in all. And yep. that's what I find is lacking for people. They, mm. they will come in. And they're like, I'm good. I'm orthodox and this and that. And they can be there for a while. But there comes this point where it's like they return to the vomit, like you said. And the only reason why anyone ever does is because they're lacking in love for Christ. I know that's harsh to say. I know that people are going to be offended if they hear that. But I'm telling you from experience, the consistent thing that I see is a lack of love for Christ. Right? Because you can hate your sin all you want, and that's really good, and it's necessary. But if you don't have love for Christ, right, then you just become, you know, a Pharisee. You be, it becomes about how how great you can see, how great you appear in your own eyes. Maybe that's one of the keys of people falling away or just being stagnant is that they don't have, they don't live for and in Christ. They begin to become religious. Yes. Yes. And then, and then they they say, well, you know, the externals and the yes. least common denominator, what I have to do, and uh, yes. uh, you know, uh, or whatever. And though that's where I, I love the term Saint Paisius gives us flotimo, to flotimo. Oh, right? That's that's the that's the key because you can see that like somebody who just we've met people in our life. I hope we've all met some people in our life where they're just on fire for zeal. They just want to do everything for Christ, for the truth, they just, they live it and they're sacrificing left and right. And they're not thinking about the sacrifice. They're not, they're not calculating how much would it cost me? Why do you know, what is it going to cost me to sacrifice for Christ? That's the philotimo that St. Paisius talks about. We need to just do it for the love of Christ. They ask us to go one mile, we go two. And we don't think about it. We don't see, oh, let's see, how much is it going to cost me to right. do that? And so if we have that, then I think that's a good sign that we're doing it for Christ and in Christ. And, and, and it's, and it's, that's transformative then like that transforms people from humans to divine humans. Like well, that's the love. You know, the fathers uh, will give this uh, process, right? Uh, obviously we're familiar with your know, purification, illumination, you know, theosis deification, but they also speak about, you know, the slave, mm. the servant and the son and, and take a little bit of liberty. And I, I presented to people in this way, the slave, the soldier and, and the son. And the reason why I do that is because slave and servant are very similar in our context to the modern ear. Mm. And soldier kind of approximates a little bit more what the fathers are saying, you know, the slave, operates and works out of fear of punishment mm -hmm. and the soldier when i say the soldier he's operating out of you know reward you know mm -hmm. and that can come in all kinds of you know ways and not just kind of like material gain but also you know notoriety fame all that stuff but then there's the sun and the sun has philotomo what was the night what was the night what was the name of the salt the the military guy in, in, in russia just just bolted uh Progrosin? Oh yeah, Progrosin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were saying people were online saying, "Well, you know, he, he it was big about it was about money because you know he was a mercenary, right?" So and that's it, and that's there it. you go. You see that in the soldiers, you know, it's like fame, get big name, and soldier like Napoleon or whatever. But and then there's also the money. So yeah, that's that's, uh, that's the desire they want to they want to earn heaven. They want the re reward of heaven. That's it, and and I think that's very helpful. That's a patristic kind of you know metric that's helpful because anyone can look at themselves and be, and if you're honest, you can say like, I'm still a slave or mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm definitely a soldier 
Or you can say like, you know, God help me. But I, I think, I think I'm getting there to be a son. And that's what you want. You want to yeah. get to this point where you're, you're operating and you're seeking only to, to out of love for your heavenly father, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So out of love for your King, you know? So, so they, they come to the church, they go through a whole catechetical program. They're learning about the church, but they're also learning how to live the life of the church. Yes. And a big part of this is learning that this is now the beginning, that your baptism is the beginning, not the end. And that's, I really try to emphasize that with people because, you know, people, they can feel like, okay, I've worked hard, quote unquote, worked hard. And now here I am, I've kind of arrived. Let me just catch, let me relax a little bit. And I'm like, no, no, no. Because now really um, that you were already on the devil's radar, but now it's, it's on. And so. Well, it, like, it would be equivalent of like, okay, I, the, the, can you think of a soldier who goes through boot camp and then says, okay, now I'm done. Like you know, right. you, you're just starting. That's right. Now so you know how to use your, we- now you know how to use your weapons. Now you now know you're how to go, actually. You're going to war now. Now the war begins before right. you were being trained for it. Now you're actually engaged in it. That's right. That's right. And, and this, this is a key thing too, because, you know, I try to walk a, I try to walk a, you know, a real path with this, but um, there is a reality. And this is a key thing for me, you know, as a catechist is really awakening people to um, the war because it isn't, you know, there's this balance where, some people, they come in and they can have, you know, especially they come from like, let's say a charismatic background, let's say, right. Um, and they can have an overdeveloped sense of, you know, their kind of radar for evil where they view, they think the devil is under every rock. Right. And, you know, it's really every other rock, right. <laughs> the devil's, the devil's there. And so getting them to understand, it's like, look, okay, this, this, catechism has really been about you understanding the need for your purification, how purification is going to affect you, what it looks like. And the purification, the fruit of it is being able to see Christ and being able to enter into the mysteries and participate. Okay. That's Mm -hmm. great. But once you come in, it's very important that they understand now you need to really learn how to engage spiritual warfare and in a sober sense, sober sense, right? And really begin to understand how the devil is going to try to undermine this development and this process, this, this process of salvation. Because, yes, you have your passions. Yes, you have the world. But once you become an Orthodox Christian, and in particular, if I'm trying to, with God's help and through the work of the Holy Spirit, engender zeal for Christ and repentance in the life of the newly illumined, it's on, as we say, it's on. And that war, it's a crime to not properly prepare someone for that war. Exactly. It's, it's exactly. Gonna, they're going to get hit. They're gonna well, get if hit. we as priests uh, dumb down things so low that we make catechism into basically a, a you know, Orthodoxy 101 college freshman course where you learn about the church and then – we say, oh, well, do you want to be a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'd like to be a Christian. Okay, they're, they're, we'll baptize you next week. If that's what we're doing and then they fall away, who, who's responsible for that, Father? That's right. That's we're right. responsible for that. And, and God. God you, can you imagine a general, a general taking a whole bunch of uh, unequipped uh, uh, soldiers into war and then blaming the soldiers when they hadn't been trained properly? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's truly tragic. And I think that's the thing because, you know, Father, um, as you know, we've talked about this before, and everyone kind of knows, uh, orthodoxy is on fire right now. You know, mm-hmm. there's so many people who are interested in learning, and it's it's wonderful. But I think the reality is, is and this is what I don't hear people talking a lot about, so maybe, we, you know, just bringing it up here, the attrition rate. You don't really mm-hmm. hear people talking about the attrition rate, and there's an mm-hmm. attrition rate. There is. And, and that's, you know, God help us. That's... That's that, that's a scandal, and that's tragic. You know this attrition rate, and I think this is one of the reasons why this that people would be first and foremost properly received in the church. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the that's the key for so much, Father. You know, we, we are focused on in our work here, Orthodox ethos. We're focused so much 
on two basic things that we see the church, at least from our perspective, is in big need. And that is the whole question of catechism on all of its levels, both before and after baptism, and then the actual initiation, proper initiation into the life of the church through the mysteries. Because I think that it is so, we're so, I don't know how to say it, it's just we're so weak and so compromised in so many ways in, in that area. And of course, that's the foundation. So if you're building on sand, mm-hmm. you might put up something really quick, right? You might be able to put something up, but it's going to be, it's going to be just a few moments, maybe, you know, in time until the earthquake comes and that thing is just pieces. That's going to be, it's going to be rubble. And you I know, think we saw that with COVID, right? In many ways. Like, we did. And forgive me, Father, if I could just kind of throw out a couple of things that I've seen over the years, just a couple of things that I think might be interesting. One of the things that I find very fascinating is that this issue of proper reception is really key because obviously, number one, um, it's a problem like everywhere. You know, people and and really people meaning well, priests meaning well, they don't they don't really understand how important this is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I will just share some things that I think are really um, I, I think maybe some people aren't thinking about in regards to this. Besides all the things which you've talked about at length and in depth about, you know, issues in regards of um, proper reception within the church, one of the things that people I don't I don't think it's on their radar is that when someone enters into the church improperly, not only are you depriving them of grace, honestly, Hmm. but you are now setting up a presupposition by which that person may or may not begin to interpret praxis as, you know, something of a, of a kind of personal nature. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're teaching a methodology or an approach, which is not orthodox. It's not orthodox. And what happens is now they're, they're, they're entering into the life mm. with a, with a serious defect and that defect will begin to then really kind of color every aspect of their life in Christ. And this is where you see, this is where you see things that should be rudimentary and fundamental in regards mm. of you know developing a lo- developing the life in Christ, repentance, you know, and even things. Forgive me, Father. Things like joy, things like discernment. You know what I mean? These things become distorted. And and we really are giving, we're really setting up people to, to have these birth defects. And mm-hmm. when this when this happens, the the consequences are often very dire because these people will have children. These people will begin to now have positions in the church, and these um places of influence, both in a natural sense of having a family and having influence in the life of a parish, if someone doesn't even realize that they have this kind of like handicap, right? They're presenting something that can be in many ways fundamentally distorted, right? And you see this when it gets down to now crisis, right? When the Holy Spirit illumines the confessor and says, look, this is an issue in your life. You need to approach it this way. They don't have the faculty of obedience. Mm. They don't have the faculty to really receive what's being said to them noetically, right? Mm. And so it's not, they don't even necessarily need to be Protestants, right? But just this inability to really enter into that blessing of obedience, to really receive healing, to really navigate the warfare, to really, you know, be, um, given an even deeper path of repentance it's 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 hindered for them so an improper a, 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 a um, partial or very uh, weak catechism and an improper initiation sets up the people for failure spiritually it sets them up for failure sets them up for failure spiritually and then they uh, are are very much hampered to to respond to what the church is guiding and teaching them. And then they become frustrated and, and they might even write off like, this is all just impossible. I mean, you're asking me to, you're asking me to be this, 
and I can't even do this, and and yet I'm supposed to be able to do that, right? But I can't. I can't get there because spiritually I've not been. I, I don't live the ascetic life, but also I haven't been given the tools. I haven't been. I haven't been purified of my old ideas. And so we're setting people up. And then what happens is, well, we end up justifying it. And, and I think this happens almost on the, without thinking. I, what I'm describing here is not something consciously going about. It's like they're just this. It's just a natural reaction. If 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 look, if you've got a bunch of people at the level of, you know, let's say high school baseball or maybe even like, you know, little league. But everybody is expecting and, and talking about the big, big leagues. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do after a while? You're going to say, forget the big leagues. They don't exist. Right. It's, it's not possible. That, that's for another time, another day. That was once upon a time. And so, look, uh, if, you're, if you're at the level of Little League or maybe better, you're good. Right. And We're good. Don't worry about it. And that's, that's it. where you see a lot of people, actually, who – they're in the church, but they do not have this hunger to, to keep pursuing Christ. And this is where, even as quote unquote Orthodox Christians, you know, it's like Christ is really the moral teacher for them, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the church is the club where, you know, it's, uh, it might as well be the Rotary Club or the Elks Club, right? And, and here's, here's why this is important because I've run into this. What about happiness? They use the word joy, but really what they're talking about is happiness. What about happiness, Father? What about this and this and that? It's like, man, you're always talking about struggle. You're always talking about this and that. And I'm like, yes, because that is the spiritual life and that look around you. And this this is the thing. Without the ability to discern the, the lullaby that the world has given you, you then begin to want to hear that lullaby in the church, Right. And just kind of like go to sleep. And if we remember, the Lord says, on the one hand, I've come to make your joy full, mm-hmm. to fill your joy, right? But then, what does he? What does he do? And what is what is the reality of the apostles? What what life did they live? They lived a life of martyrdom. They ended up being martyrs. That's right. They were exiled. The apostle Paul commemorates all of the difficulties and struggles that he had, almost died how many times, was persecuted, was this, was that. And he promised that you will be persecuted. He promised that you will you have to pick up your cross. And yet he said, I've come to fulfill and give your you fullness of joy. So That's obviously right. the joy of the apostles, of the saints, of the of the Christians is not the joy of the world. No. And he, and elsewhere the Lord says, They will rejoice and you will weep, right? In other words, they will have the joy of uh, the superficial worldly joy of success, and you will be rejected by the world. And but, yet he says your joy will be filled. So the, the Christians need to double down and say, well, what joy is this that I'm really seeking? And what is the joy that Christ gives? Because maybe I'm not seeking the Christ, Christ-given joy. And that's exactly it, Father. And that gets us, again, full circle where I do think it really comes back down to, okay, who is Christ? Hmm. Really, who is Christ? Because, listen, it's inseparable. Who is Christ and what is a Christian? <laughs> they, they go. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Because if I present to you, look, this is this is the spiritual life, right? And this is the spiritual life. And this is what the fathers have shown. This is the experience of those who have made it, quote unquote. What is their experience? Okay. Mm. Is their experience consistent? Yes. Where, where, where are these anomalies? Show me, you know, St. You know, Saint, you know, St. Mary Jane, who, you know, had a very happy life, had everything she wanted, you know, and like, 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 like she doesn't exist. She, she doesn't exist, right? So you want to now argue about the, the tradition and the witness of those who have pursued Christ with everything that they got against your desire to be, quote, unquote, happy, right? Now, now let me just finish this part because yeah. it, this is the thing I'm trying to get at. Does that mean that there isn't joy? No. In fact, I can tell you the there's greater joy the worst day of my life in the church than my best life outside the church. Yes. No one can understand that until you do it. It's the same thing when people love athletes and they love musicians, right? And they love all these great, okay, well, listen, have you put the time in? Like, name the athlete. 
Have you put the time in, like naming the musician? Have you put the time in, like whatever, you know, artist or whatever? You, you see the fruit of something, right? But behind all that is years and years of sacrifice to learn the scales, to learn how to throw the ball, to learn how to endure the run, to learn how to hone the eye, to learn how to hone the voice. The spiritual life is not only no different, all of those things are actually given to us to point to the spiritual life. Mm-hmm. They're all given for us to learn. This is what it means to have the spiritual life is to sacrifice and to hone for this, for these moments of life. That's where you find joy, but you won't find it unless you enter into it and do it. Mm-hmm. And that's why the ascetical life, that's why repentance is so key. Mm-hmm. So one of the, one of the proofs for all of us is go- going forward is going to be, this joy, this inexpressible joy that Christ gives to the the one who is a struggler, who's picked up his cross, who is becoming free of the passions. That's the joy that we want and that can't be taken from us, right? He says it won't be taken from us. And that'll be a sign that actually we're becoming truly initiated into Christ, that the mystagogue has done his job, so to speak, right? And we're now living the mystery of Christ within us. Because only if we have Christ within us, we're going to have that deep joy that can't be taken from us. Real freedom. True freedom. freedom. But it's going to be the cross at the same time. We talk about the the famous expression from Great Lent, harmo lipi in Greek, joyful sorrow, right? One at the same time. You have both at the same time. It's a mixed, and you can't have one without the other. No. If you're going to have true joy. Yeah. You can't. You can't. Yeah. And you can't have, it's it's getting us full circle back to that uh, icon of the Pantocrator Sinai. Mm-hmm. You can't have all blessing, you know, and, and no law. You know, you can't have all the law, like no blessing. It's it's the fullness. It's And 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 I guess that's the thing, too, in regards to this inoculation. And just letting people know, look, the Orthodox Church is, is the only place where Christ is worshipped in his fullness as he is as he has called man to worship him, not as, not as you want to, right? He's the master, not you. He's Submit, the submission. Submission. Put your, put your ideas aside. We have, we have and this will be probably for another interview, but we have a growing segment of people in the United States and other places that are calling themselves Orthodox Christians, and yet they're introducing ideas that are not according to Christ, not according to the Holy Tradition. We see this. Increasingly, uh, they're driven by agendas and uh, ideologies and, uh, uh, you know, uh, reformations and all the rest. On the one hand, it's extremely troubling. On the other hand, if you know a little bit of church history, it's it's been going on a long time. This goes back to the at least. I mean, you can see major expressions of the same spirit of. Uh, of innovation and distortion in the 1920s, for instance, in the living church in Russia, mm-hmm. uh, which was embraced by other, other patriarchates. I mean, uh, this was not just a Russian problem. So there, um, there for another, another podcast, we'll look forward to having it. Uh, we're going to have to start, just like we said, we're going to smash those idols and yep. people have to see, come to see themselves for who they are and deal and go deeper in self-knowledge. I think that we as Orthodox Christians also need to collectively have that session of let's see who we are, what's going on, and let's talk about you know what what we need to double down on and correct and repent of, um, and protect ourselves from uh, you know basically living in the delusion that we're Orthodox when we're not even when we're when we're living according to the world and the worldly ideas that's a big temptation going forward I, i'm sure that's a part of the mystagogue's job after initiation as much as it is before uh keeping people on the straight and, and narrow in the, the kingdom of god not the kingdom of man yeah absolutely thank you very much father for the conversation helping our viewers listeners and uh and uh, uh readers uh this will be uh, offered uh, along with the bonus content of uh, our upcoming book, which I know you've been uh, privy to. Uh, we're very excited about it. We've got a copy here of the hardcover that's going to be coming out uh, on the reception of the heterodox, uh, 450 pages, uh, uh, trying to cover everything we can for the sake of the upbuilding of the church, salvation of souls, 
and the uh, proclamation of the gospel. And this, uh, so this is uh, an offering to all of those who've joined us at Uncommon Press. We appreciate you participating and look forward to your, uh, your thoughts and, and contribution uh, on that topic in due time. Um, and uh, I know you have a lot to say about it because you're living, as we said, in the trenches. You know what? You know why this this book is important. Absolutely, absolutely, it's essential for right yeah. now. It's essential. I mean, I mean, thank you, Father. Pray for us. We look forward to seeing you again soon. Amen. Thank you, Father. It's my joy. Evlogite. Oh, baby.